This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, The Sixth Sense, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 6. I know this is difficult for you, but, but there is a possibility. A possibility of what? That Randy's trying to talk to us through our minds. Professor, Einstein showed us that classical laws about atoms weren't valid anymore. Now, it's just possible that that all these years your concepts of the nature of man have been limited. Give me a chance to broaden that experience. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast for psychic visionaries. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I was trying to wonder, because we've had a few, as you say, psychic visionaries on this show, but I was trying to remember which actual TV movies we've seen that had psychics in it. And here's the three I think I can remember, and tell me if I'm wrong. We had Baffled. Mm-hmm. We had The Ghost of Sierra de Cobre and The World Beyond. Yeah, I guess those are all... I, I, trying to remember, I can't remember Ghost of Sierra de Cobre, but someone must have been psychic in that, right? I think someone was a psychic. I don't know. It feels like... when I remember I started watching this, and I thought, this feels like the 50th like psychic investigator I've seen. But then I was thinking about it, I thought, that's probably only been a couple that we've seen. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it seems like a real trope, and I'm sure it is. But uh, and it, I think it mostly falls into this era. I think what it is, it's just like um, it's paranormal investigator. But for some reason, in the '70s, they're like, "Whoa, but what else?" They were also psychic. Yeah, exactly. And it does feel, especially in this first episode, which we'll talk about, it feels like they're really laying it on thick. Like it's like they say psychic every third word. It's like, yeah, okay, we get it. He's a psychic. He's, he's he's a psychic investigator. He's not even a psychic. He just likes psychic things. It really feels like this was an era, particularly with this show. It feels like there was like a book published. It's captured some of the public's imagination. They're just working off of it, but they have to explain a lot of the stuff because it's like still new to the public consciousness. That's what it feels like. Every time you know you watch something, we're just like, here's a new idea. Let us beat it with a hammer, and then we watch it twenty years later and like, we get it, we get it, we all know. Yeah, it wasn't as bad in the next episode, episode six, but in the first episode, it's like, man, oh man, they're really uh. They're really laying the groundwork. Yeah, people just didn't understand at home. They're like, a psychic ESP? What does any of this mean? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, this week we're starting a new series, the 1972 television program, The Sixth Sense. Jordan, have you ever heard of this show before? Never have. And not only that, uh, I don't know the the lead of this this thing, uh, Gary Collins, who plays Dr. Michael Rhodes. I wasn't familiar with him. I know the guest stars that we're going to talk about, but it's weird that I don't know the lead at all. Yeah, I didn't really know anything about it either, but um, I looked at a little, a little bit of background for you into it. Um, it's, it's based on a TV movie called Sweet, Sweet Rachel, um, but it wasn't really like a pilot TV movie. It's just uh, there's new characters, there's new actors and the whole thing, but I guess they, it was probably about a psychic professor, much like this, and then they were like, I wonder if there's a TV series in this somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, they're like, we don't like anything about it, but we do like psychic professor, gold. But it is most famous for... Its inclusion in the Rod Sterling anthology series Night Gallery, um, which is a show, I guess, out of the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a bit about this in comments and things. Apparently, uh, this show didn't have enough episodes when it was finished to go to syndication. But the network, you know, they weren't going to give up. They're like, you can still milk this for something. And they ended up recutting episodes of The Sixth Sense into half-hour versions so they could slam it into the night gallery as night gallery episodes with Rod Sterling doing an intro to fill in the large sections of the first act they would just cut out to force it into 30-minute things. And so I just saw all these comments of viewers just being like, I remember this on night gallery, and I used to be so upset as a child when it came on because they were made no sense, and I was always sad when I saw it was going to be a Dr. Rhodes episode. (laughs) I, I read that too, and I, I like the the point that you made, which was, you know, the networks was like, well, we need to make syndication. But instead of doing what you think they would need to do, it's like, well, I guess we'll just have to make more episodes of this. It's like, no, 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 no. There's a cheaper, much more ineffective way of doing this, which is cutting them up. And and I like that you, uh, you mentioned that because it is the only, like Rod Serling is accredited in some of the episodes, but he's not, I don't think he's going to be in any of the ones we see because it's just... It's a syndicated thing, which is so weird. We've never had a show like that where they've they've hacked it so badly that it's like a different show. 
Yeah, apparently it was a baffling, unwatchable mess from what I was reading online. And I, we, I was lucky. I looked forever to find, like, full actual copies of these episodes, and I finally tracked them down. And uh, But uh, yeah, a lot of people, I think, have not seen them either in this full version in a long, long time or only really know it as the half-hour Night Gallery version. I, I will argue, though. This is, uh, you know, uh, granted, this is a show from 1972, so the pacing is very different than what uh, we're used to with modern television. But it feels like you can cut out, if not 30 minutes of it, it feels like you cut quite a bit of uh, uh, staring, knowing glances. <laughs> I mean, it is very much a show of its time. The pacing's very different. It's got a lot more of a slow burn, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's like, in in the second episode, and spoiler when Shatner shows up, man, the amount of times is Shatner just looking at stuff. I was like, have we seen this shot before? <laughs> well, the series ran on ABC for two seasons between January 15th and December 23rd, 1972. And Jordan, during the run of the show, the world events that were happening were on January 30th, 1972. It was the Bloody Sunday Massacre in uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah, the Troubles. February 3rd through February 13th, the 1972 Winter Olympics in Japan, which was the first Winter Olympics outside of North America and Europe. Is that right? And February 21st, 28th, Nixon goes to China. (laughs) Good for Nixon. I said and as if that was the last one, but there's more. March 2nd, Pioneer 10, the first man-made spacecraft, leaves the solar system. Oh, sorry, it launches and then it'll leave the solar system later. But, you know, you get the point. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. April 3rd, Charlie Chaplin returns to the U.S. after 20-plus years of self-exile. Mm-hmm. I think he came back to get his honorary Oscar, didn't he? Am I wrong? He came back to watch The Sixth Sense, Jordan. <laughs> he's like, he's like, it's just not available in Austria, wherever he was. Ah, here's the final one, though, for you. December 11th, the last manned mission to, a mo- to the moon, sorry. Apollo 17 lands on the moon. Hmm. Is it, that's that's what uh, Apollo 17 is mostly known for? I don't really know him outside of uh, the first one and uh, the one with Tom Hanks. Right, right, right. This is, Apollo 17 is the last one to put a manned mission on the moon. So we haven't been to the moon since basically the final episode of The Sixth Sense. <laughs> that's pretty good. It seems like a long time to not go to the moon, if you ask me. I don't think it's pretty good at all. I once had a, um, a disagreement with a roommate about that. They were very angry that there was a question that uh, NASA should be given less money at some point. And they're like, the exploration of space, ah, there's, no, there's no argument against it that you should be giving them more and more funding. I was like, there's no argument against it? I think there is. I mean, I get the thing that we should be exploring, but there's other arguments where that money could be spent. Yeah, you want it spent on more wars. You're always like, more wars, please. <laughs> I think there are more options than that. but. <laughs> All right, Jordan, this is for you because it's your favorite thing to do. The Academy Awards happened April 10th, 1972. Who won Best Picture? Mm. Okay. Well, I know that The Godfather won. He was in 72, but it must have been the 73 one. This is my problem. I'm always a year off. 71. What would have come out first? Uh, 71. Patton, Patton was best. Was Patton Best Picture? It was not. It was The French Connection. Oh, French Connection, of course. Oh, and w- William Friedkin, who just died. Yeah, R.I.P. William. Oh, Friedkin. by the time this airs, though, he'll be dead for <laughs> for ages. <laughs> <laughs> and Jordan, finally, there are two continued reg TV movies that overlap with the series The Sixth Sense. What are your guesses for the two? Uh, the Astronaut. Is that it? That's your only guess. There's two of them. Oh, I I just thought I wanted you to say I wanted you to say yes or no first. Uh, and my I'm going to guess uh Black Noon. The answers are Baffled and Between Time and Timbuktu. Oh, so I was I was incorrect. But that's a, a good point to another a psychic investigator. So it, it was something that was in the zeitgeist at the time. It was hot. It was a hot commodity at this point. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jordan. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 1, Episode 1, I Do Not Belong to the Human World. Tina Morris has persistent visions of her brother Randy, a soldier presumed killed in action in Vietnam. That is heavily truncated to one sentence because it was way too long. <laughs> um, I, I say that's probably enough. Um, also, uh, great episode titles, am I right? Oh, best episode titles in the game this series has. 
Yeah, yeah, they're like great. And I was like, I was going through them uh, just for episodes. Obviously, we won't be watching all of them in the speed run, but I'm like, yeah, these are all great. And uh, and I like the way they they come on the screen. I like that old 1970s style. Um, the actual like look and feel of the show, I was like top notch. Top notch. Eh? Well, it starts with a pretty cool dream slash psychic vision sequence, which is like a mixture of like lightning flashing and the sounds of warfare and uh, it's sort of this like really spooky, mm-hmm. unknowable sort of like vision sequence before a woman wakes up from the dream she's having. Yeah, it's like uh, you get the sense very early on that she is seeing not her memories, but someone is trying to communicate something to her and it's about war or battle or whatever. And I think it ends with like it pulling on a, a picture, right, of her and the person. So you uh, assume they were married or lovers or have some sort of connection. Yes, yes. Unlike the synopsis that I just read, Tina is in fact the boyfriend or the girlfriend of Randy, a Vietnam soldier who was killed overseas. And she's at the her boyfriend's sort of family cottage, I guess. And uh, as she kind of wakes from this dream, she goes to write him a letter sort of saying that she feels like they still have a connection that maybe he's still alive. And as she's writing this like letter to her dead boyfriend, her other hand starts automatic writing on a different piece of paper. But this time in Chinese. Mm hmm. And but not only that, while she's doing it, we we see a guy like kind of asking for help. And he's um, has like a noose around his neck. Um, and then it's like. He looks like he's being being hung, and when she looks over and she sort of like is knocked out of her reverie, um, she sees the stools be knocked over. So you're like, something has happened. This is spooky. It's very spooky. I was really impressed they found an actress who could write with both hands because there is a shot of her writing with one hand and then writing with the other hand. I was like, oh, was she cast for the fact that she can write with both hands? Yeah, I guess so. She's also pretty decent in the role. Yeah, it's a good cold open, honestly. It's spooky. It's weird. You're not sure what is happening, but it's a compelling, compelling beginning. Yeah, and then and then we go to the uh, the opening credits, and I th- I thought when we f- we see it in this pilot, I assumed this was just going to be for the pilot, and they were going to change the credits going forward. But in the next episode, it's the exact same. They're so like bright and sunny and happy. It's it seemed like a weird uh, whiplash. It is very strange, and. <laughs> The opening credits are just Dr. Michael Rhodes, our lead, like heading to his office at the college he works at. We come to learn via the like the voiceover here that he's the leading authority on psychic phenomena, works at this college, um, and he also happens to have a little ESP ability of his own. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we sort of mentioned at the beginning and we don't need to flog a dead horse, but they'll mention it about a million times in this pilot. Yeah, I mean, it's a real intro to, like, who he is, what he's doing, what these phenomena are. In fact, the next scene we see as the episode starts is it introduces his lab. It's kind of nice. It shows lots of computers spinning and whirling on walls to let you know that it's all very scientific, mm-hmm. his investigation. He's not some new age hoo-ha. Um, but <laughs> they're also doing the classic psychic card test a la Ghostbusters or Space Above and Beyond where you hold up a card and have someone guess what's on the other side. I wrote the old thing. I, I, I wrote, we see a woman doing the old Ghostbusters Peter Venkman test. <laughs> and it's, and what I guess they're trying to tell you is that these, there's people with uh, abilities and they're pretty accurate, but maybe not a hundred percent, which I think is a bit of a, um, get them out of jail card if they need to in future episodes. Cause like we see the woman and she, I think she gets like three to four of the shapes correct and then it's the same thing for like we, they go through a series of people that are doing these tests and he gets the first one wrong but the next like three right guessing like dice rolling and cards and stuff like that so i think that's what they're trying to show is like people have abilities but they sometimes make mistakes too they're all human yeah yeah it's not supposed to be a perfect science he's investigating it you're supposed to know that he is very much creating this seriously but it's not a perfect there's no perfect psychic there's a mystery to be had here things can be not what they seem now i'm I'm gonna stop us real quick ask your opinion on uh uh, dr michael here do you think dr michael does a lot of actual investigating or does he sort of just like walk around waiting for information to hit him in the face i don't know i mean i think he's walking around looking for psychic connections much like swamp thing he just walks around and hopes to like find some sort of like (laughs) psychic idea that floats by the atmosphere (laughs) I mean, I realize it was a bit of a leading question I asked, but but it does seem a little bit like uh, he's he's not uh, so much of an actor participant as much as like, let's see what happens. He like shows up to a room and he's like, maybe there'll be something in here. And he goes somewhere else. He's like, maybe I'll find that. It's like, I don't know, man, open a book, do some research. You, you can't leave it all to your assistant. <laughs> 
he essentially just he shows up at the right place at the right time all the time that's his special power Mm, fair fair enough anyway tina drops in to ask for dr rhodes's help um she has the automatic chinese writing with her but she's also brought along with her her brand new boyfriend and fiance and also randy's best friend peter played by a guest star that i recognize did you recognize him jordan yeah yeah it's uh what's his face from uh um uh beyond westworld yeah the star of beyond westworld plays the uh the the new boyfriend slash best friend and pete was also in vietnam with randy in fact he saw randy shot in the head while they were over there though they never recovered his body from vietnam so there's that there's a little bit of mystery there um and it's revealed also through the course of this episode that um randy and uh, his sister Betty majored in Asian languages. So there's sort of this idea that's being set up here that uh, maybe it's not automatic writing. Maybe Tina subconsciously like absorbed some of this like Chinese he was learning when he was in school kind of thing. So there's you know they're they're planting some se- seeds of doubt. Like this is a real they like to like keep things on the something for him to investigate. Don't you think though that Peter um, what's his face uh, Jim McCullen who's uh, uh, who plays Peter. Don't you think he's a little bit too aggressive right off the bat? Like, I was like, something's funny here. Something's funny with your Vietnam story there, Peter. I mean, it definitely raises questions pretty quickly because he's uh, he's very anxious the entire time he's around anyone talking about his old buddy Randy from Vietnam, who he definitely saw shot in the head. <laughs> well, that's what it is. He's like, he's like, guys, I don't want to go over this again. I've made it very clear, and there's no holes in my story. He was shot in his head. I saw it. End of story. Let's move on. Now I'm going to date his fiance. What 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 of it? <laughs> That's right. And I, it, it took me a while to figure that out. I was like, ooh, Pete, ooh, bad move. Anyway, Dr. Rhodes goes to meet with uh, Randy's sister, Betty, because he wants her to have a look at the Chinese writing and maybe translate it for them. And when we meet this character, she's in full cat, full kabuki makeup in a very cringe-inducing sequence. <laughs> okay, that that aside, it's it's bad. It has has not aged well. Um, I don't know how <laughs> how good it was at the time. That aside, she has a very affected performance she's doing, and I'm not sure what she's supposed to be. If she's supposed to be sort of um, uh, obtuse, or she's supposed to be artsy, or she's supposed to be uh, confusing. I don't know what what is what is she trying to get across with her character. I was like, is she aloof? I don't know what that is. Yeah, she's kind of just a jerk. It appears. <laughs> that's what it is she's just a jerk that's what i didn't understand because they go to see her and like the first thing out of her mouth after she performs this very unpleasant kabuki performance is she just looks at them and then she starts quoting poetry at them but we don't know that until she finishes but she basically says the title of the episode which is i do not belong to the human world because they're like hi nice to meet you i'm dr rose and she's like oh but ah but ah i do not belong to the human world uh 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 and they're like what and she's like that's poetry i don't want to talk to you and i'm like huh <laughs> I, I like that synopsis because that's pretty much what happens and then he's like well my job's done here with this investigation so i'm gonna go see the dad now and i was like oh my gosh he's gonna meet every member of the family which is what he does he meets this dad professor calvin blake well she does translate the chinese for them before they leave she does give them that at least and uh the the translation of the chinese is something that says uh being so much more than I thought I was beyond living death, which is uh, what they'll come to learn is a quote from a book that was one of Randy's favorite books. And the quote was referencing kind of um, uh, astral projection. And you're, at, you're right. As you said, he goes to visit Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes goes to visit Randy's dad to get a, a, a handwriting sample. Um, his dad appears to be a professor at the same university, but like he's pretty skeptical of this whole thing. So he's willing to give up the handwriting, but doesn't really want to be involved in the investigation. He's like, doesn't want to get involved in this. Like his son is dead. That's all he needs to know. Yeah. And then, and then before he leaves, I think it's, um, Dr. Michael's like, man, do you have a photo of Randy or something to that effect? And he sees a photo and you get like a, 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 a quick flash of, uh, the picture of Randy. And uh, and in that flash, he has blood on his chest, like right in the like dead center. Um, and then it sort of flashes off. So he knows he's been sent to vision. He's like, interesting. I remember that Peter told me he was shot in the head, but here his wound is in his chest. Hmm. Maybe that story isn't as foolproof as Peter led me to believe. Oh, see, I thought it was like, oh, no, Randy stained that white shirt one time he's wearing. He never got to wear it again. That was a psychic vision. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, if you, if if they had pulled out, they would have just seen he was at like a hot dog eating con- uh, contest, and it's like, oh, that was just ketchup. <laughs> that was the psychic vision of the, how that shirt got ruined. Mm-hmm. It was his favorite shirt, to be fair. Yes, of course. Uh, Rhodes continues his investigation. He heads to that family cabin next, and here he does encounter an apparition like uh, Tina saw at the beginning of a, a hanging Randy. And then he begins having more like intense visions where he's being interrogated by Chinese soldiers, water tortures happening. There's like a, a bamboo cage he's stuck in. And all these, it's interesting, all these sort of visions, and we'll see them throughout the episode, they're all kind of done in more of a, an impressionistic way. Like they're like either in a black box or kind of like an empty stage area. So they never attempt to like make it too authentic. They're like, they use the visions as more impressionistic. So it, they get a lot more distance out of them, I think, because they're not trying to make it too accurate. I agree. I, sh- I think those were the better part of the show where they're just like these sort of, as you would imagine, these sort of images would come just like in flashes and sort of maybe a little obscure, a little uh, unclear. And, and I thought those were, were done well. It's a lot of like overlaying images and sounds and stuff. And it's, you know, uh, Dr. Michael, they're trying to piece it together. Yeah, and he's not quite sure what this means, but he tries to enlist the help of Tina because he, he, after these visions of the cottage, he thinks he can use her to get a more uh, clear idea. But what we see is that her fiancé, Pete, just won't let her go um, because she he wants her to just lick over Randy. He's dead. Just focus on me, your new fiancé. So Rhodes is forced to return to the cabin again, which is very weird. It's like he's at the cabin. We don't see him for a scene. He's back at the cabin. When he gets there, Randy's sister Betty is just at the cabin suddenly. And, like, she kind of gives some more exposition about how, like, she just wants Rhodes to leave her brother's soul rest in peace. And she kind of reveals that, like, A, she used to date Pete. And so she's upset that Pete's with Tina now. I think this is where that happens. And then she also goes on a rant. I'm not sure. It might happen in this scene. It might happen in a future scene. But the essential idea is that she also hates Tina because she feels like Tina was dragging her brother down. And I'm sure you noticed this throughout the episode. The relationship between this brother-sister, Betty, and her brother, Randy, is very... Like, Betty's... Betty is as jealous of Tina being with her ex-boyfriend as she was of Tina being with her brother? It's it's all very weird, and I... It's... it. I'm glad you're, like, mentioning it now, because it took me to, like, nearly... I guess this part of the episode, I was like, wait a minute, Betty's the sister, and she used to date this other guy, but now he's swapped the other sister? It's, like, it's also incestuous, but... I don't know if it matters. I don't know if this like they needed this this much of this much complication to get this story across of basically this guy in Vietnam trying to astroplane out information. That's basically all this is, but they're all like they have to add all this family stuff and I guess it's just to confuse or delay stuff to the end of the episode. I don't know. Was it needed? I think they're just trying to provide some potential other culprits or people to be suspicious of. And they're going for Randy's sister, Betty, into the mix, which is, I think, why they make her so aloof and so unhelpful to Dr. Rhodes and why she has, like, her relationship with her brother seems very unhealthy. And then why, like, they need to have her ex-boyfriend dating her brother's ex-fiance. Like, you know, they just added all these things, I guess, just to make her a potential suspect. But it's it does it does make her character borderline insane. Yeah. Also, you start watching, you're like, I guess it's Peter's pretty guilty. <laughs> At any rate, the sister leaves and just leaves Rhodes at the family cabin, which I thought was weird. But I was like, all right, sure, why not? Um, and Randy starts, and Rhodes starts having more visions of Randy. This time in combat, we kind of see some like uh, explosions, and I think we see Pete in combat too. But the important thing about this is, as he's having these visions of combat in Vietnam, the entire cabin bursts into flames, and uh, it's burning around him as he's having these visions, and he barely escapes. Yeah, he he. <laughs> while he's having the vision of fire, it's actually fire around him, and it takes him a while to like kind of realize where he is but there's a couple things i like out of this uh one right after this uh, it sort of cuts to like uh him talking to a fire captain and and the and the, and the captain's like oh this, uh, this was a, a man-made fire someone lit it with kerosene and he's like interesting but later on he'll end up talking to tina again a few scenes later and tina will be at the at the the burn down cabin and it's just like a few smoldering ruins left. And he, and Dr. Michael's like, anyway, sorry about your cabin. So more about your brother. And it's just, I like the idea of like, I know it wasn't his fault, but like, it sure seems like he burned down their cabin. And he's just like, anyways, no big deal. Your family cabin. It does raise some questions of this, like, man, you didn't let into your cabin, was hanging out there, and he and it burnt down something. It's like, you would be suspicious. Well, that's what I mean. It's just like, he's like, oh, we know someone else did it, but he'd be like, 
So it just happened the one time you went to my cabin uninvited, you just burned it down. He's like, yeah, yeah, it's just coincidence. <laughs> At any rate, Rhodes goes to see the dad again, uh, Randy's dad. And uh, we've already kind of covered some of these plot points. We're not going to get back into it. But the idea is that, like, the dad is starting to come around to the visions being real. He's been reading that book that the quote, the, the automatic writing quote was from. And then we see that night that uh, Randy's apparition appears to his father in his study as he reads the book. And so we, we know something's going on because he's now appearing to his father. But then cut to the next morning and the father has been found dead, murdered in his home, shot in the chest, basically. So the things are really escalating quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, now it seemed like the cops were kind of they were aware of Dr. Michael, right? They seemed to know him. It was a little bit cagey. They didn't seem like they really loved having a psychic professor on the case, but they were like, it, there seemed like there was a history, correct? Yeah, it definitely felt like he's maybe helped solve a couple crimes before, but they don't really love it. So they're like, mm, we're going to be keeping on your our eye on you. You're always in the middle of all these murders we keep encountering. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you you did just come back from a cabin that you, you know, quote unquote, did not burn down. But yes, it's around this point that uh, Rhodes is like, he takes Tino's side. I think it's over those smoldering ruins that you were talking about. And he's just like, hey, you didn't come out to the cottage when I needed you. What's happening? And she's just like, listen, I want to help you, but I'm also trying to save my like relationship with Pete. But he's just like, come on, let's go back to my place at the at the university. I've got a great alpha state I can put you into. We can You can meditate and we'll try some ESP. And there's like the idea of being like, he's finally getting Tina back in the mix to figure out what's going on with uh, her, her missing boyfriend. Right. And now again, don't you think he could have started this from the beginning? I think it is the case of it. Just the slow burn of these of these episodes from the seventies. It's just like they're not like very uh, plot driven. They really they really meander around a lot. Well, it's like it's like sometimes I'm like, how he's visiting the dad again? I'm like, just get all the information one time. Come on, you're a terrible private investigator. I mean, he's just a professor. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's he's just amateur. That's true. I take it back. He's just he's just an amateur investigator, professional professor. <laughs> And then for the first time in the episode, we cut to a scene where Rhodes and Tina aren't in and it's it's at Pete's house and Randy's sister and his ex-girlfriend, Betty, drops by and she's like, shows up, she walks in the door and she immediately rats out Tina for going along with Rhodes to do some like psychic testing, which how on earth she has any of that information to tell uh, to tell Pete, I have no idea, but whatever, they just needed to get it to, to Pete somehow. Yeah, to make him even angrier. And she also knows that her father called Pete the night he was murdered because she wanted he wanted Pete to come over to talk about his his, you know, missing son, Randy, and talk about like his, seeing him shot in the head again. She knows this because her dad called her for Pete's number. So she's like, I'm pretty suspicious that you murdered my dad, but I'm going to let karma sort it out. So good luck to you, sir. And I was just like, well, OK, you're out of your mind, Betty. <laughs> But that means uh, Peter gets to leave, goes to his car, and he gets his vision of Randy. Yes, uh, Randy's ghost appears in the street, I guess, this time, being like, Hey, buddy, uh, remember when you told everyone I was shot in the head? Well, that that was what I thought. I thought they had implied that he was able to uh, make a connection, astroplane or whatever it is, to places where there was some connection to his family, to the people he was trying to connect, either his life or those around him he loved like so thus the family cabin his father's uh, uh home that sort of thing but it was just like a street that pete happens to have parked his car on i'm like okay it's the loosest connection for sure i mean my best uh forgiveness for this would be that like it he can appear to people who are thinking of him heavily and maybe pete's got a got old randy on the mind but it is a stretch it's like the mm. rest of the stuff makes more sense like it's like in the study reading his favorite book in the cottage they always went to when they were in love you know those things make more sense than hey before you get in your car i'm in the street <laughs> yeah it's just, it's just to be like uh oh he's seen him he's seen him too and and man is the tension ratcheting up at Rhodes's office though tina's been put into the alpha state uh, using, I don't know, some sort of uh, Eastern, um, you know, Mandela kind of thing. It's all very, is a lot of explanation for like a very like uncomplicated, like, eh, she's in a trance. I'm like, just just get to it, you guys. Um, and the trance takes forever. Yeah, it takes a while to get going. <laughs> but Randy starts automatic writing through her once she's in this trance. And he's he's basically like, he's asking for help. He's like, I can't find my father on the astral plane anymore. Where's my dad? And they're all like, oh, who's going to tell him? 
But <laughs> as they're in the middle of this, but as this is happening, Rhodes starts having more impressionistic visions. And this time what he sees is Randy and Pete are being held in captivity. We see that uh, Pete was tortured by uh, by the soldiers he's being held by. And Pete sort of breaks under the torture. So what we're seeing is like the both of them were captured together. Pete broke, revealed secrets under torture. Randy is so mean about it. When he goes back to his cell, Randy's just so mean to Pete about torture breaking him. I am glad you said that because I felt the exact same way. I was like, is is this going to be how, why we're supposed to feel angry at Pete? That after being like horribly, horribly tortured, he gave information. I was like, guess what? So would I have. And so and and Randy's all like, you can't. Do you know how many? Do you know how much uh, trouble you've caused by revealing secrets? And he's being all aggressive. And I was like, man, I wish Pete would break off a piece of that bamboo cage and just stab him in the chest. And guess what? <laughs> <laughs> And that's exactly what happens. <laughs> Old Pete snaps off some bamboo, stabs, shanks him, shanks him right in the chest, and Randy goes down. And then at that moment, back in the uh, Rhodes' office where this is all happening, Randy then busts into the office, intervenes with his fists directly into Rhodes' face. And um, he like Pete. starts demanding... Pete, the- though, not Randy. Oh, sorry. I'm so confused. There's so many characters. Yeah. If Randy broke in, I'd be, I'd be blown away. <laughs> You're right. No, it's Pete. Pete's coming in. He's mad that they're doing these visions. He punches Rhodes in the face. He grabs Tina, but Tina has also seen all these visions in his trance. So she's like, I know what you did to Randy in Vietnam, so I don't like you anymore. You know, Pete's upset. He flees. Rhodes chases after him. And as they're running through like a parking lot, Pete is hit by a car. And he's laying there dying as Randy's apparition appears above him. And, like, Pete admits to everything. He's like, it was me all along. I burnt down the cabin. I killed the dad. And then Rhodes tells him to tell Randy's apparition how he escaped from Chinese prison. And as Pete's dying, he's just like, there's a hole under the floorboards in the the hospital you could escape through. And he dies. Yeah. And, you know, call me dumb. I didn't know till this point. I thought Randy was dead. I thought this was all just like energy projections that he was doing from like the grave. I didn't realize he was still alive. I was also under the impression he was dead. And honestly, I thought it was a better move for him to be dead all along. And I thought this was even this part where he gives him the the answer to like how to escape the prison. I thought this was just like a metaphor for like if he tells him this, his soul can escape the purgatory it's in. Like I thought that was the idea they were going for. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, his soul can be at rest now because he's been uh, seemingly living this torture and this existence over and over and over, and this will set him free. But you're like, no, no, he's literally still alive. He was shanked in the chest and left for dead and survived, and he's in the hospital, so we can have a happy ending that doesn't make sense. The hospitals in that uh, prison were very good. Because, yeah, then we got to (laughs) sometime later in the future, Tina pops by the office and says, hey, I got a letter from the military. Uh, Randy has been recovered after escaping the prison camp. And then they're like, cut to more weeks in the future. And Rhodes is dropping by the house to meet Randy after he returns home. And Randy's like, hey, you look familiar to me, but I have no remembrance of our psychic connection. And I'm just like, okay, I'm glad I got those extra two add-ons. <laughs> it, was, it was weird because it was like a button to the end of the episode. You're like, you're done. You're like, nope wait there's more like randy's back and he's like do i know you and he's like maybe you do son maybe you do end of episode i was like that's terrible it was it was a bit of a disappointment i kind of thought when it was gonna go with um the idea that uh he's been dead all along and this is just how his soul's like released i i like that as like it felt like a more uh meaningful episode but it was kind of a letdown by being like and we also saved his life i'm like oh you didn't have to (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it would have made more sense if you found out earlier on that Randy was still alive and they that this guy had the secret to saving him. Thus, that was going to be the investigation. What is, how did you get out, you know, uh, what information can be sent him through this astral planning? But that wasn't until the, literally the second last scene where you're like, oh, that's the point. That's what they're trying to do is save this guy in Vietnam. I didn't know. I thought he was dead. Here's the thing is I think we were looking at it through two modern eyes because when I looked back and watched it, I was just like, I bet you most people at home are like, he's alive as soon as they like, as soon as that lady said it, just like, I feel Mm -hmm. like you're alive. I think, I think it was like telegraphed there, but we as a modern audience were waiting for a big twist. 
Um, so my assumption was this was the twist we were getting, but it was like, oh, no, right. I guess they told us at the beginning that she thinks she's, he's still alive and we should have known that all along. I don't care. Like, we've written a better episode. We, we certainly have. Well, Jordan, here is the INDB summary for season one, episode six. Can a dead man strike from the grave? There is a psychic force at work in this house. Are you ready to believe that? What I believe is I could have shot you. I still could. And no jury in the world would convict me. I understand how you feel, but I want you to realize something. You're not losing your mind. You saw that vision and so did I. A man sees murder and plays piano while in a trance. (laughs) Oh, that might be my favorite synopsis ever. One more time. What was it? A man sees murder and plays piano while in a trance. Great, great. And, and what the really only thing that would have made that go from an A to an A plus was dot, dot, dot. It's Shatner. <laughs> well, Jordan, we also get the return of the precap at the start of this episode. It's been a while since we've seen a precap. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, You know what? I've grown to love them. I like that it, it tells you everything you're going to see in this episode. So it's basically like, look, we don't want to waste your time. Is this something you're interested in? We're going to see um, a slightly overweight William Shatner wearing really tight shirts. You're going to see a young Ann Archer. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, people uh, giving angry looks at each other, guns waving. Is this something you want to see? Precap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely not to not to be, make fun of Shatner anyway, but it did feel like this was the beginning of his girdle era, right? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple things. If Kevin was on this, you know we'd have a long conversation about his toupee because this is a 1970s toupee he's grown up the sides of his hair so thus the toupee has to be longer and he is he's put on a few pounds it's been what about five years since star trek probably went off the air something like that and he's put he's put on a, he's put on a few pounds since then but for whatever reason they're like you're still an extra small shirt and he said absolutely and shatner has a very particular acting style and uh while we were watching it we were discussing it um and it's and it's in full force uh, in this episode but also it's like a weirdly muted Shatner so he still has that odd delivery of lines that everyone knows and loves but he's also uh, very somber and kind of quiet so you know he'll say his weird lines but he's not as explosive as as you would imagine yeah it's true I was I was hoping for more like hamming it up but he's very he's very restrained in this episode um it begins in a spooky mansion mm-hmm. uh, William Shatner is playing Edwin Danbury, a wealthy architect from a well-to-do family, and he keeps hearing ethereal whispering telling him that his wife is cheating on him. Ooh, spooky whispers. Yeah, and and what I like is they <laughs> this opening shot, it shows you essentially every inch of this house. I, it just goes on and on, all the shots. I was like, this must be really important to later in the episode that I need to know the geography of this house perfectly and all these rooms. Do you? No, you don't. Just a long shot. <laughs> spooky. You're going to the spooky mansion. And it compels Shatner down to a piano in his sort of like living area where he starts playing it in a trance. And as he does, a vision of a couple on a swing set appears in the room. They're swinging. They're having a nice time. They seem to be in love. And an old man steps out with a gun and shoots them both dead. Mm-hmm. Then they fall, they're both dead, and they both sort of try to reach reach each other's hand, uh, but they die before that. And he's like, oh, what a vision. But while he's having this vision, he's playing piano, and his wife is sort of at the top of the stairs, I think it is, or she's nearby, just sort of watching him being upset. And we don't really know why she's upset, other than it's a little weird he's playing piano, until we find out later on, he doesn't even know how to play piano. Ooh, spooky. Um, yes, all she sees is him staring off in the distance playing piano. So she, the next day, she goes to see Dr. Rhodes about Shatner's staring problem. Um, she's just like, he stares as he plays piano. And she'd recently read a story about a psychic who couldn't play piano, but using psychic powers was able to. And she, uh, she believes that maybe that is happening to her husband here. Um, so that's why she's come to meet with Dr. Rhodes. And for some reason that I never understood, and it keeps happening throughout the episode, they've chosen to meet in a public park, not at his office, but just in a public park. And as a result of that, William Shatner's assistant, a Miss Reagan, comes along, I guess, on her way to work, and she spies uh, Shatner's wife through the bushes with a strange man. And from the angle she's watching them through, you could maybe mistake it for the fact they're kissing. Yes. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, ruin a little bit of thing later. So this character, Phyllis Reagan, she's his assistant. He's an architect, I think. Um, and... 
she sees them several times in what might be seen as like a compromising position. Like you said, they look like they might be kissing or they look like they might be holding hands or uh, they look like they're flirting in some sense. It's always because it's the angle she's looking at or she's far enough away. But later on, she's going to sort of make a move or sort of hit on Edwin Shatner's character and be like, your wife doesn't love you. Uh, you should love me because I, I, I'm, I love you. And it's like, did she need to see that his wife was cheating or is that that was just like the, the, the jolt she needed to like work up the bravery to tell him? Because it was like, if you liked him, you liked him. What do you care about what the wife's doing? Well, I think this is again, Jordan, much like the sister in the previous episode, they need a, they need a red herring of some sort. So this is also by showing the idea that she thinks her, his wife might be cheating. It now puts some sort of onus on like, Oh, is the assistant who loves him, and has seen the wife in compromising positions, is she the one feeding the idea that he's she's cheating? Like, this is just another one of the red herrings, I think. See, I guess I guess what it is, is maybe this is, I have a problem reading this from a, a, a modern perspective, because I keep going like, uh, I don't see these as red herrings at all. I'm just like, they're just time wasters. <laughs> You're just looking for cuts. You're like, how can I cut this down to get into a 30-minute uh, episode of Night Gallery? Honestly. Get this to a 30-minute episode, slap a Rod Steiger uh, uh, intro on this thing, boom. Syndication, baby. <laughs> At any rate, Rhodes uh, takes the case. He goes to the spooky mansion to uh, check out the piano, see if it's uh, how spooky it is. And as um, he's sort of like milling about the piano with the wife, uh, again, this is a, a running theme. You sort of mentioned earlier, but like Shatner also wanders in and kind of spies them from a corner, spies on them from a corner. Mm-hmm. And from his angle, it's like, maybe they're touching fingers. Like it's constantly just like shots of someone watching them. And like maybe from that angle, it might look they're like they maybe are kind of like flirting. It's always it, there's so many shots of that. <laughs> Yeah, and they they do sort of mention, and I think it's um his wife Elizabeth mentions the first scene with uh, uh, uh Doctor Michael, Professor Michael, that uh, Shatner's character has been acting different lately. He's a little bit more aggressive. Um, he's like prone to anger. Um, and we're led to believe as as a viewer that this has been going on for some time. This um these voices he's been hearing, so it's been playing into perhaps his own insecurities about his marriage and his wife. So. Thus, he's he's looking for reasons to get angry. So he's he's seeing things, uh, you know, her flirting when she's not, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he Shannon knows that Rhodes is coming. Uh, when they talk about it, Dr. Rhodes is just like, hey, I'm here to investigate this. He's like, I know my wife was bringing you in. I don't believe I have a problem. I don't remember playing the piano. I have no memory of any of this. Um, it's, it's all... I think it's all fictional. I think this is all her covering up her cheating. Like, that's kind of the implication he gives. And... Um, it's very funny. There's a, it's a complicated scene. They end up up in his office and all this stuff happens. But like the, the key of it is like he knows she's coming. He doesn't like it. And then he wants like he does this weird thing where he's just like, I, you know, he's like, I suspect she's cheating, but I don't want to say it out loud. He grabs his wife and starts aggressively making out with her in front of his assistant at one point. And I was just like, what is happening here? Yeah, he was just he was just <laughs> showing he was a man. <laughs> it is funny. He's like proving the a point of some sort, but it's just very funny because it's just like shots of Shatner aggressively making out, cut with shots of his assistant just like sitting there watching. I'm like, okay, this is very funny. <laughs> I'm like, what what a wonderful office she works at. Uh, that's what you get when you work at someone's home, Jordan. It's a, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. At any rate, Rhodes heads back down to the piano, and when he gets down there, he meets two new characters who I I don't know if they live there. It's just so insane. He goes downstairs, and the wife's sister, Helene, and her creepy teenage daughter, Stephanie, are down at the piano having (laughs) piano lessons. Apparently, the sister just comes by and has piano lessons at the piano anytime she wants. It's very confusing. Um, But he meets them, and they quickly excuse themselves. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing that's not clear until later in the episode because for all the over-explaining they do in this show, they don't explain that Helene is uh, Elizabeth's sister till like 40 minutes into the episode and that Stephanie's her... I, I think she says Stephanie's her daughter, but like I didn't understand why it's all connected because I was like, why do you why do they go over there for piano lessons? It's the only piano. And then later on, they're like, and Helene taught Elizabeth piano. I was like, great. Okay, good to know. Well, that's all. That's all in this scene. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. It just there, there's something very weird about how they introduce stuff. They just seem to spend a lot of time giving information that. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's like 
it's red herrings, it's subterfuge, it's ways to confuse the viewer. But I was just like, why are you telling me all this stuff? And I don't know why there's this lady at the piano. Yeah, it was just a surprise to see them, but they sort of tried to fill it in, being like, my sister comes to use the piano with her creepy teenage daughter. I'm like, ah, what? I don't understand, but fine. At any rate, Rhodes then, like, brings the wife back in. He wants her to play him on the piano the song that Shatner was playing so he can, like, record. He's got a little tiny tape recorder he takes out, pushes pushes record, adorable tape recorder. Yeah. <laughs> and... uh to help her get in the like zone to play this music she doesn't really remember is he puts a mirror in front of her and she's like stare at the mirror and just focus on yourself and like just start playing and it'll come back to you and it does it works the mirror trick works and as she starts playing in the mirror Rhodes is able to see the exact vision that Chatner had the like couple on the swing the old man coming out and murdering them that whole thing and I, if I'm not wrong Jordan in this in this vision he also gets to see the faces of the two, the couple on the swing that's right. Yeah, we get we get to see a little bit more of the vision. It sort of like extends or there's slightly different angles. And, and here you see, because the people's uh, faces were obscured because we saw them from behind. And what we see is the woman on the swing, um, even though it looked like it was from 100 years ago or something, is his wife, wife Elizabeth. And the person that's uh, pushing him, her lover in this vision, is Michael. And so um, for whatever reason, even though they're shot... Shatner takes that as further proof that they're having an affair. Yes, yes. So this this uh, Shatner comes up behind them and sees that Dr. Michael Rhodes is also in this vision. He's able to see the same thing in the mirror. And, you know, it definitely, like, drives home this affair idea is, is the concept. And um, at any rate, uh, with that over, Shatner runs off. Uh, the wife reveals the plant, the piano belonged to Shatner's grandfather, and like he's like, "Can you give me a photo of this grandfather?" And you know, shocker of all shockers, when the photo comes back, it's uh, the, it's the old man from the vision. It's just like, so you know, you kind of start putting together. It's like this maybe family history involved mm-hmm. here. But then Rhodes also like looks out a window, and he happens to notice that uh, some spooky lights are flashing in the attic upstairs. So he's like, "I better go look at that attic." Yeah. So he goes to look at the attic. But then he comes across creepy Stephanie, who, like, I didn't know what her character was supposed to be. Like, was she supposed to be coy? Or was she supposed to be flirting with him? Or is she just creepy? It's a real mixed bag. This this creepy teenage niece, daughter, or girl, she's just, like, she's both creepy, always playing with these weird metal rings. But there is something, like, flirtatious between her and Dr. Rhodes. It's all very strange. But the basic thing is, she's just, like... No one goes in the attic. No one's allowed in there. It's locked up all the time. There are secrets in the attic. And we're like, oh, can't wait to get to that attic. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I hope he's going to go in the attic now. They're like, whoa, hold on. He needs to walk around a little bit more. So he can't get into the attic. But don't worry. That excitement. He'll come back to the attic in about half an hour. But Rhodes goes back to his office where he's assigned his assistant, Nancy, who was in the first episode, but didn't have much of a role. So we didn't talk about her much. But Nancy's there. She's been assigned to track down the origin of of the trance song that uh, Shatner's been playing. And um, while she's there, she's sending Nancy out to go look into it. And Nancy, as she leaves the office, she she trips over a phone cord and then she gives him the weirdest look. She gives Rhodes the weirdest look. She like trips over the cord, looks at him like it's his fault that the cord to the phone on his desk was in her way. And then in the process of that look of being annoyed with him, she look, she's like, finds him adorable. So she forgives him in that look. I'm just like, are they seeding like some sort of love story here? I guess, but like it doesn't like it doesn't make any sense. And also, just watch where you're stepping, Nancy. I think what it was supposed to be is he's kind of like your single ma- messy bachelor, and like he's been leaving stuff out. So thus, the cable that should be against the wall or wherever it is is kind of out with all his papers, and so thus she tripped on it. She's like, ugh, if if he wasn't so lovable and handsome, I would really wring his neck. It's that sort of thing. I think. I guess so. I mean, I don't know. The phone cord plugs in the wall. That's just how it works. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how things were happening in the 70s, but I feel like he didn't put his cord where it was supposed to be. <laughs> At any rate, as soon as she leaves, a call comes in. It's, it's Shatner's wife calling. She says she needs Rhodes at the house she's left the back door open for him just come on in come up to my bedroom uh i i need you right away and uh he's just like all right uh, I, I'll, I'll head out now but then as Rhodes is about to leave he looks down and he's like oh, the phone was unplugged it was a psychic phone call yeah so Neil, let me ask you luke you're a you're a, a psychic investigator and uh you get you get a call and uh, it's the person that's hired you and they've asked you for help. And they're very specific because the call's like, meet me at this time, come into this room, come through this way, blah, blah, blah. The key's here, whatever it is. Then you realize 
that couldn't have been the person because the phone was unplugged. Would you do exactly what that person told you? Of course, because uh, these psychic visions, they're not 100% true. You don't know what they mean. I would absolutely not. I'll be like, I am not going. If they've told me, make sure to go to the the boudoir and pull the candlestick, whatever, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. You evil psychic energy thing i mean uh, to Rhodes's credit here he does he heads over and he's like a little he's trepidatious but when he hears screaming coming from upstairs that's when he kind of runs upstairs and busts in the room he's like worried he's he's worried when he hears the screaming and inside he sees shatner's grandmother and or grandfather sorry and the grandfather is shooting the wife dead in bed and then the ghost the ghost of the grandfather turns around and starts like laughing in a ghostly manner it was uh, i love this ghost laugh it's very good yeah, he sort of laughed like he was a prospector that just uh, found some gold. Of course, this is all just an illusion, a psychic a vision that he's having, because suddenly the ghost is gone and the wife is alive and just asleep in bed. And it's a great scene. The The wife kind of like wakes up and there's just a strange man standing in her room and he just starts screaming. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely reasonable. I like it because she starts screaming because he's coming to her bedroom. And uh, and then he goes, it's like, stop freaking out. It's me. It's, it's Michael, who you hired. And, and it was like, as if that explained why he would be in her bedroom at the middle of the night. He, it wasn't like, I just like, and then it's like, it's obviously just to set it up. He goes to comfort her. She's like, oh, it's just you, Michael. I thought it, I thought it was a, a creepy guy I barely knew in my room. And just as he's like comforting her, Shatner comes in, classic, classic bad timing. And it looks like, again, they're in some sort of embrace. And he's like, why I oughta. Yeah, Shatner is uh, less than enthused by Rhodes' explanation that someone sent him a, quote, psychic impression and is trying to frame him for cheating. No, no, he says, he says it's a tele- telepathic impression. And I was like, what a great pickup line. Telepathic impression. Yeah, it's very good. So he asked Shatner to leave mm-hmm. and he starts to uh, uh, rough up his wife a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tame. It's PG. It doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's OK. And it's a little uncomfortable. But he sort of like he sort of gives her a shake, a little maybe not roughing up. He kind of manhandles Shatner, manhandles his wife a little. Yeah, it's not good. At any rate, uh, back at Rhodes's office, Nancy has tracked down that song uh, that Shatner's playing. It's from 1904. It was never published, and it was only performed publicly twice. So they've got the composer's name. So I was just like, if it was never published and never recorded, how did you track it down? <laughs> I was going to say, honestly, whatever Nancy's getting paid, it's not enough because that's some killer research. Yeah, she managed to, based on a public performance twice, some record of that happening, she was able to match the song and the composer. At any rate, it's all that matters because it gives uh, it gives Rhodes what he needs. And as he's leaving his office, he's like, Nancy, I need another investigation, please. Please go research the origins and history of the spooky mansion they live in. I think it might have something to do with the case. And he, she's just like, but I was up all night. He's like, I don't care. Get to work. <laughs> yeah. it, it is funny because it's like there's I understand like it's boring for TV to see someone like, you know, research at a library or whatever. But I like that they still need to add that in. They're like, oh, we know there's work to be done. Will our main character do it? No, 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 no. That's what the assistance for. Don't worry about it. Absolutely. So Rhodes returns during the day to meet with Shatner's wife, this time in another public park for some reason. And uh this public park can also be seen from a window in Shatner's mansion, so Mrs. Regan can once again see them meeting suspiciously in a park. And I was just like, what are the logistics of this park in this window? <laughs> it backs out on the park, Luke. What I really like, though, and I don't know if you caught this, Jordan, because they meet in the park. I automatically know someone's going to spy on them and misinterpret the sequence, so I'm watching for it. And they're meeting, and directly behind them is a bench. The bench is facing away from them, but there is a man sitting backwards on that bench, holding a newspaper in front of his face to obscure his face. So imagine a man like turned so far the wrong direction on a bench so that the so that he could be covering his face with a with a newspaper. And I'm just like, who's this guy who's so clearly watching them from a bench? No, nobody. It's nobody. I don't know why that man was sitting backwards on a bench with a newspaper. It's so clearly in frame as I was just like, what is this? I didn't even notice it. I didn't see that. He was sitting so he was sitting so in a way you would never sit in a way you'd only sit if you were trying to spy on the people behind you and it turned out to be nobody. I was just like so insane. But the big point here is that uh, he tells Shatner's wife about the composer. She's never heard of this composer before, but she's just like, "Hey, all Shatner's family records are up in that attic. Here's the key. Why don't you finally 
head up to the spooky addict and I'm like, yes, addict, addict, addict. Yeah, um, it's not that exciting. <laughs> he like he like goes up and he's like, hmm, paper, pa- papers to leave through. Interesting. I'm like, uh, okay. We asked, he goes up there, creepy niece joins him. The creepy niece is like, why don't I also come up to the attic with you? And they're both menaced by old grandpa ghost who's now appearing in shackles and jingling. And he's he's just menacing Rhodes by giggling at him the whole time. The ghost just keeps giggling at Rhodes and Rhodes is like, oh, no. Yeah, well, there's there's an interesting, <laughs> it's funny to say because there's an interesting scene. So he sees, you're right, the ghost sort of menaces him and it's like laughing. And he's like, oh, no. And correct me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, Michael sort of gets startled, backs into some stuff which falls on top of him, and then you see the ghost approaching him while he's like sort of trapped under this like bookcase and stuff. You're like, oh no, what's the ghost gonna do? The answer is nothing, just disappears. No, not, not, not up to anything. What was the point? Why why did he why, why did he fall down with stuff on top of him? What did it matter? It was just time for a spooky scene, Jordan. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> The ghost does essentially lead Rhodes, though, to the documents he's looking for. And as he's leafing through them, Shatner busts in. He's just like, how are you in my house again? And this time in my attic, I don't understand what's happening here. And Rhodes says like, hey, I found some documents that say your grandfather killed your grandmother in this very house. And Shatner's like, what? He's like, and then Rhodes is like, where is your grandfather now? And he's just like, my grandfather went mad and died in a sanitarium. I'm like, oh, okie dokie. I guess that's why he has shackles on him. That's the explanation. <laughs> yeah, it, well, Shatner says it in his Shatner way. He's like, he had shackles in a sanatorium. That's the worst Shatner ever. But he, you know, he really gives us something. Yeah, he puts that, he puts that spice on it that he always does. Uh, Rhodes, anyway, he goes to check in on the creepy niece to see if she's okay after the ghost encounter in the attic. And she goes down. She's down getting piano lessons again from her her mother at the piano place. They're always just there doing piano lessons. And uh, this uh, this sister, this mom who uh, who takes care of the Helena, who takes care of the, her her daughter in piano, she's upset. She's like she doesn't want Rhodes anywhere near her daughter because all that like evil shit he's dabbling in. She's not into it. So they they storm out of the room. Um, but the creepy daughter leaves behind the like metal rings she's always playing with. I don't even know what they are. Were they keys? Were they just like a magic, a magician's like yeah, ring set or something? No, it's an it's an old fashioned uh, key ring holding old fashioned keys. It's an old house. It's just like an old heavy key ring. But why is she playing with it all the time? I don't know. She's like she's like a baby. She's like a baby. <laughs> she just likes keys jingled in front of her face from time to time. That's right. But when Rhodes touch it. But when Rhodes touches these keys, he has a psychic revelation. Uh, we cut upstairs and it turns out that the wife's sister has been using her creepy daughter's psychic powers to gaslight Shatner into thinking his wife is cheating. Um, and he, she is currently now using her psychic daughter to goad Shatner into grabbing a gun to kill Rhodes and his wife. Now, I like this because it was so ludicrous and it, it came out of... It just seemed to come out of left field. Like after just so much time of walking around and looking at stuff and not coming to any conclusions and him just being like, Hmm, maybe I'll walk up the stairs again. Hmm, Maybe I'll walk down the stairs. Suddenly they're like, Oh, you know that sister who has piano lessons? She has a daughter and her daughter is psychic and she's using the psychic powers to try to have him kill his wife. And then later on, we're going to learn. She's like, because I'm jealous of my sister because she had everything easy and I had it tough. I was like, that's the motivation that's why you're doing this yeah it's a little weird because also it doesn't appear like that lady had it tough she just like hangs at her sister's mansion like i'm just like i don't know do is is that tough your life i don't think so you got a creepy daughter but that's about the worst of it (laughs) and she's so she's creepy sure she's got the psychic ability that's helpful seems like your life's pretty good what I like though is Rhodes has he sees this all in his head, so he like busts in, he breaks them, he breaks up the mother daughter combo, stops the psychic, stops them from like sending psychic visions to Shatner, and he grabs the creepy teenage daughter and uses her as a human shield to confront Shatner with his gun, so that he will not get shot. I mean, he's a smart man. You were fine with it. You would also use a teenage girl's a human shield in any situation. I would use a teenage girl's human situation, uh, human shield in any situation, and uh, I would have given up my information in a uh, 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 Vietnam uh, prisoner of war camp. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Rhodes busts in. He basically is like, "It was all psychic gaslighting, Shatner. Your wife and I aren't cheating at all." And he, like Shatner, just immediately just like, 
oh, that explains it. Uh, sorry, everybody. And he, like, drops the gun. Like, he believes it instantaneously, which I thought was very funny. Well, he's just like, ugh, finally, that makes sense. Everything else I was a little unsure about, but everything's tied up nightly, nice and tidy with a bow. Uh, the wife's sister runs in. She grabs the gun now, and she's just, like, gives that explanation. She's like, I'm jealous for reasons. And uh, creepy creepy girl's like, Mom, don't shoot anyone. And they start wrestling for the gun. The, the mother gets shot and dies and like that's that like it's like it's all over we cut back to Rhodes's office and he's basically recounting all of this to his secretary Nancy being like well and that's how it all sorted out we killed the mother yeah and then he's and she's like what about all the research I did he's like I don't need that anymore and they're like what end of show I know it was very funny. She was like, but I spent all night researching that house. And, you know, there's a lot of questions remaining. Like, why is that ghost grandfather still kicking around? That seems unrelated to what was happening with the psychic daughter and the gaslighting. He's just like, I don't care anymore. Shut up, Nancy. (laughs) And that's it. That's the episode. Yep, that's that's the first two episodes that we're going to watch of uh, Sixth Sense, episodes one and six. Mm -hmm. Jordan, do you want to just get into rating these things? Let's do it. Um, well, why don't you give me your uh, your feelings on uh, the first episode? I do not believe, uh, seriously, I do not belong to the human world. Uh, I liked it. I liked it. I thought it was fun. Uh, I liked a lot of the ghost stuff. The ghost stuff was very compelling in that first episode. The uh, visions, all that stuff is very compelling. You're not wrong. It, it has a bit of a meandering quality, I think is not untrue of things of this nature. Certainly, if we sat down, we could probably tighten it up to a to a tight thirty five. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's still, I enjoyed it. It was a slow burn. I was along for the ride. I, I like Doctor Rhodes. He's like not an uncompelling character. I liked the I liked seeing the guy from Beyond Westworld, and I just I found it interesting. I was disappointed by the end. I he should have been dead. That should have been the final reveal. I think the I think the happy ending was a bit tacked on. I didn't care for that part of it. But overall. I had a nice time. I thought it was an interesting pilot. I thought it had some style and some a little bit of like just a bit of a, a feeling to it that like made it its own thing. Like it didn't feel like anything else. Um, so I'm going to go seven. Okay. I was also going to go seven for much of the same reasons as you. However, that ending was terrible. So it has to lose one point. So it's down to a six. Um, I, I am hoping that the show uh gets more and more ludicrous that's my hope for it if you're gonna do this uh psychic investigating stuff i want it to be so outlandish that i don't know where it's going um because so far that's not how it was in the first two episodes but still pretty decent six out of ten because i don't want that happy ending randy should be dead in my books yeah that would have been the better more like spooky ending to it for sure i don't know why you think it's going to get more ludicrous there's no indication it's just going to be uh, a drama so yeah i know that's what i'm hoping for you can one can hope you you want it to be something else yeah i would like it to be something else i would like it to be a more fun better show that's what i would like it to be all right well jordan what about can a dead man strike from the grave uh i'm gonna i'm also gonna i don't know i kind of like this episode more and i don't really know why maybe it was just because they didn't say as much psychic stuff like you didn't have to explain it as much um but because the other one gave the other one a six i'm gonna go up a little bit i'll give this one a seven out of ten Seven out of ten. Impressive. I actually think this is a much worse episode. I like Do you? Like you said, it's a lot of wandering. The plot doesn't really add up to anything. Even the red herrings with and the red herrings don't make sense. To be fair, all he does is wander in the first episode too. He's never gonna do anything but wander around. Yeah, but this time it's just like it is not it's not cohesive to the plot. Like at least that one, like it was like it was like I get this, I get this, I get this. This one it just it he didn't put anything together I, it just didn't work this episode i think was structurally unsound the conclusion was just like random like it could have been anyone anyone could have done it because it was just like you could have been like it was me miss reagan i have psychic powers i've been gaslighting like anyone could have, there was no lead up there was no like there's nothing to follow um you couldn't you could have couldn't have guessed who it was at all there was nothing there's i don't know i think it was a mess of a plot um it's nice to see shatner but he's underutilized like you're they're not even letting him fully shatter it up so i think it, it's it's not it's it's kind of a letdown of an episode in my opinion so i'm gonna go three out of ten. Oh my gosh you thought it was that bad huh i thought they were both like just meandering episodes and i'm giving them better scores than than they should get because we're so early on no, I think the first one was fun. Like, I liked the first one. I was a good pilot. I enjoyed it. I thought it had a style and a, and a sort of idea behind it. Like, certainly a little bit slow, but I 
don't mind that. I know if, if something from this era can be a bit more of a slow burn, so it was fine. But I, th I thought the next one was just like it was just like it didn't really go anywhere. It didn't really have any ideas, and it like at the end, like the the big reveal was just like could have been like they could have just made like it's like it was the dog he has psychic powers and he was mad that he didn't get a biscuit that day like it was that level of ending but luke helene thought that her sister got handouts where she didn't get them so thus it makes sense that she used her psychic daughter to uh convince her brother-in-law that her sister is cheating on him come on yeah you could have said the same thing it's like <laughs> nancy used to go to college with uh with shatner and he's mad she's mad that he's that he makes her do too much research by the old job when he was her assistant so he used her second like you could have you could have like literally slotted anyone to that role <laughs> i don't i don't disagree with you but i just don't think it's that different than the first episode where it could have been anything it could have been like the father at the very end he abused the guy so that's why he uh he died in vietnam or whatever it's just like it does i, I just thought it was the exact same episode done twice but one with shatner so that's why i got a better score Interesting, interesting. Well, strong disagreements on this first episode. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> In the meantime, we have bonus episodes for Charity. We've only watched now episode one and episode six, so we've skipped mm -hmm. four episodes in the middle there. So maybe there's an episode you want us to go back and watch, and bonus episodes for Charity is a way to do that. What it is is uh, we have a list of charities on our website as selected by past guests. If you make a donation to one of those charities, We'll go back. We'll watch an episode of a show, series we've skipped because either we've used the escape pod or we're doing a best of run so we just don't watch all the episodes in the seasons. Something we didn't discuss this episode is we're only going to watch the top three episodes of mm -hmm. Sixth Sense this season. That's how our best of runs work. I don't know why I didn't explain that at the top of the episode, but that's how it works. We're only watching the top three episodes of your season, so we're going to skip a whole bunch of episodes of Sixth Sense. But with bonus episodes of charity, you can get us to go back, watch another episode. All the details are on our website, continuumdrag.podbean.com. And, of course, you can email us at continuumdrag.gmail.com if you have any questions as well. Easy way to get your questions answered before you try to get a episode bonus for yourself if you have any questions. Uh, other than that, though, we're going to have some clips from um, The Sixth Sense on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Those are the social medias. At Continuum Drag's the handle there. I don't know. Going to be ghost stuff. Going to be a giggling ghost grandpa. Going to be Vietnam flashbacks. That kind of thing. I think at least one shot or reaction shot. Chandler will pop, make a cameo somewhere along the way. It was too bad. He wasn't that exciting. He wasn't that fun to watch. So there's not like a, some great Shatner moments in this. I, I would agree with you. Yeah, I feel like it was like stunt casting, but like maybe didn't play to his strengths. And that about wraps it up for this episode. So listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I will see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes.